Welcome, everyone, to the Hour of Strange Skies podcast. I am your host, Rob Christofferson, and I'm joined today by author, paranormal investigator, and co-host of the Q-File, Shane McClellan. Shane, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. It's an absolute honor to be here. Uh, it's an absolute honor to have you here because I, I love the hell out of Q-Files. It's a great podcast. You you all do great work over there. You and Lori, like, you put together these just fantastic episodes where, you know, it, it feels very personal, uh, the stories that you, you bring to the table. And uh, it, it's just absolutely fascinating and a, a great listen. So everybody, if you're not listening to the Q-Files, you really need to. And you also offer up a, a perspective that is sorely needed, which is, you know, a very, it's a queer perspective, which has been lacking for, you know, years. So uh, it's a huge honor to have you on, you know? Well, thanks. I appreciate that. And, and yeah, I mean, we tried to, you know, um, do something that's a little more, I guess, like purposeful and personal um, just because, and this isn't, you know, to like make light of anyone else's work, but you know, there's, everyone can kind of get what they need from other shows. So we wanted to come up with something that was um, more unique, I guess. Yeah. And it, it has a very distinct and, and unique feeling all its own. And like, you know, when you dive into episodes like the Hester Foster episode was just absolutely you know, the two-parter was absolutely fantastic. It was, it was amazing. And uh, there's a whole back catalog there that is um, absolutely wonderful. And uh, you've done a couple of UFO episodes. You went yeah. to Circleville, of all places, which, <laughs> right? you know, people don't necessarily think of Circleville as kind of this, like, uh, you know, place where multiple UFO sightings have occurred. They think of it as the place of the Circleville letter, letter writer. So, you know, that, right. that was yeah. really cool to bring that kind of, uh, you know, history to, to the table, you know? I mean, so Laura and I, you know, kind of love all things weird, but we didn't even realize that Circleville has this like thriving UFO community. Mm-hmm. And it all stems from this like one sighting that happened. Um, I think it was in the fifties. Um, but they have this like amazing UFO group, the Roundtown UFO Society, and um, just like a, a complete wealth of information. And we ended up joining their their group. We're, we're like official members, and you know they send monthly like updates covering you know the entire world of like what's going on. Um, you know, and kind of like the, the UFO community. And it's just been like an incredible resource for us. Um, and really just like a, a truly like surprising find. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, that the particular incident that was kind of the inspiration for this, it's it, it generally, it doesn't get talked about a lot. It's kind of mentioned briefly in, in Jacques Vallée's, um, uh, is like his first book, I think, which is, you know, uh, Anatomy of a Phenomenon, which is not one that people run to because it's more uh, when you think of Jacques Vallée, he, you think of the guy who is like interested in how where fairy lore intersects with UFOs. But like that book is 
really scientifically minded. So, uh, yeah, it's it's it, it kind of relegated to these um, less well known sources and and it was it was a great episode because you know it starts with that particular episode because but it becomes you know more about the people that gather and 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 that's what that's what's great about your podcast is you bring that to the table and seriously folks if you have not listened to the q files go do it now um so first uh, i i gave you a list of topics for this episode and you decided on cattle mutilations uh why <laughs> cattle mutilations <laughs> i don't know i mean I, I truly don't know i just it's one of those things that um i think i've been kind of like interested in that since i, w- I was a lot younger and I, I couldn't tell you what the the shows were or maybe it was just one show but um they used to cover that stuff on like history channel um or maybe like discovery or whatever yeah but i remember seeing that like and being you know amazed by it when i was younger probably because i like grew up on a farm and you know we had we had cows we had sheep we had some goats and it was always just this like you know like what if it happens here kind of thing and so kind of getting this like getting to do a deep dive on it with you um i don't know it seemed like the most fun i guess yeah and the cases that we're bringing to y'all today are they're not your typical cases of uh cattle mutilation and animal abduction because they're kind of crossing two sects here uh but um they're unique um because the image of animal mutilations is often steeped in conspiracy linked with government programs or alien hybrid programs or uh you know just different conspiratorial sex here but um in this case we have a bunch of unique cases that are they're outside the norm of what you would think for a an animal mutilation or kidnapping case but we kind of have to pay a little tribute here to the to the origins uh of the uh animal mutilation cases uh and in particular uh the mutilation of nelly lewis's prize appaloosa horse known as lady and september 27th 1967 the san luis valley of colorado there had been uh, just kind of like a large number of ufo sightings in colorado but like the the country's kind of in the middle of a UFO flap at this point, you have uh, the Mothman stuff happening in the Ohio Valley. Uh, maybe in, I mean, in September of 67, it's more the UFO stuff linked with the Mothman in that area. You're not seeing the Mothman as much, but uh, there's a lot of stuff happening in Ohio in the last like year or so you literally had one guy hit a ufo with his car and get two visits from the men in black in ohio so you know uh i guess that happens <laughs> there's, there's always something with ohio it's just yeah it's what, it's what happens here i you know i i just kind of picture you all as the um you know capital of hitting ufos with your cars like all the time it just seems like i mean you'd be surprised how often you're just traveling down the highway and have to dodge one (laughs) yes (laughs) so uh september 27th uh harry king the caretaker 
of Lady. Uh, he became a bit concerned when Lady didn't come to the fence for the usual water, uh, and she usually gets a snack around that time. So he kind of set out immediately to go and find her. And it wasn't long before he found the body. She was lying on her side, uh, and her head was uh, stripped of flesh almost entirely. Uh, and when you look at the pictures of Lady, which, you know, you're, they're, I'll, I'll put them online, but like you, if you've ever Googled it, it's kind of an infamous image of seeing Lady on the ground and like, yeah, her head was just, it's down to the bone. And there was this kind of like foul acetone like odor just permeating the air. And portions that were kind of stripped away, they looked like they had been cut in many ways, um, ruling out your average coyotes and scavengers, which is like the main feature of animal mutilation cases. Kind of the signatures are that the flesh in these cases seems like it's been surgically cut or um, used with it, having burn marks used with kind of advanced technology as some believe but um there's a lot of precision involved so we're not dealing with coyotes or scavengers or seemingly not and apparently her tracks extended to about 100 feet away from where her body was found um, but there were no additional tracks found in the corral that she was in which uh, is also kind of a weird feature because it 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 lends kind of this air that well somebody had to have lifted her up from above and then just kind of put her back down so um this is where you know ufo's and helicopters generally come into play um but this kind of foul odor lingered for days and they kind of just like left her body there for a few days which was very weird to me i don't know like i understand you want to have a necropsy done but like i just got this dead horse in my corral and i'm, I'm I, that's that just makes me uneasy <laughs> i mean i also think that like it, it is strange i guess but i there's also probably some logistics around moving mm -hmm. a horse that yeah, it's not like you just decide one day to like go bury it. You have to dig a pretty big hole. Right, exactly. And <laughs> uh, it took like I think it's uh, the report said about three days before um, they could get anybody out there. But uh, during that time, no, there were no uh, scavengers wouldn't touch the body at all, which is another kind of signature of animal mutilation cases. And aside from her death, there there were kind of a, a bunch of different strange factors nearby. There were uh, 15 circular burns on the ground that some believed were exhaust marks or something like that. And then 300 feet north of the carcass is a number of bushes uh, that were like flattened and this was in a 10 foot radius and six indentations were noted alongside the flattened bushes that were about two inches wide, six inches deep. And, and they just kind of formed this circle that was about 10 foot in diameter. Um, those who investigated the case proposed a number of like strange theories. Uh, Sheriff Ben Phillips suggested that the horse had been struck by lightning, which, you know, 
Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> I tell I, I like I don't know if being struck by lightning just melts your head flesh like that. Yeah, it just peels your face. Yeah, it, yeah, totally. <laughs> it is uh it's the new like uh rejuvenation tool for everybody to use. Somebody's gonna market <laughs> it eventually. And another researcher suggests that the horse had actually tripped uh and fell on the ground because her head was consumed by cannibal ants. That was the specific term, cannibal ants. Um, maybe. Uh, I don't, I can't say that I've seen ants do that, but you never know. Um, like, that's that's something for unsolved mysteries to me, you know? <laughs> totally. And I mean, like, I guess, like, you know, ants could, could eat them like a horse or something. But like, how many ants do you need to just like perfectly flay the skin off of a, of a horse head? Yeah, uh, this has not been tested, and I don't know, like... Someone should get uh, on that. Yeah, somebody really should. Like, um, I, I started reading uh, Mystery Stalks the Prairie, which was uh, Keith Wolverton, uh, his investigations into animal mutilations in Montana. And, like, reading that book, they did, like, every conceivable experiment that they could to kind of rule out whether you know, helicopters were involved or this element, that element. Uh, I need somebody to resurrect that research and get on yeah. this ant theory to see how good they can strip away flesh from a horse's head. <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't long after this incident that Nellie actually renamed her horse Snippy. Uh, some say it was the press that dubbed it. Some say that it was her that dubbed it. I might have been her. I, like, it makes sense within the context of the case that they would call it snippy. Uh, I do believe snippy was actually the name of her stud. So, you know, that's, it's just such a, there's so much weirdness around this thing. Like from like everything from top to bottom, from the naming to the, to the alleged UFOs in the area. It's just, it's just uh, very weird, and and it gets weirder uh, with a guy named John, Doctor John Altshuler, who was arrested near the Great Sand Dunes National Park, and he was claiming to he claimed to be on the hunt for UFOs, and the police recognized the name, and uh, when he identified his area of expertise in blood coagulation, uh, he was asked to examine lady. And uh, what he found was that the heart, lungs, brain, thyroid, and abdominal organs were all missing. The edges of her skin um, uh, where the animal was cut was actually black as if it had been burned. Uh, but the most startling thing, and one repeated in countless reports across the world, is that there was no blood inside this animal at all. And... That, again, is another signature of animal mutilations. No blood anywhere. Uh, there's no dried blood on the ground, even though that that, that blood uh, could probably disappear within a day or two. That's usually what I hear, either being absorbed into the ground or, or whatnot. But uh, no blood anywhere in the animal's body. From there, these cases get 
become synonymous with UFOs. Uh, and, and there's one case in particular with a woman named Judy Doherty. She, um, she's like often cited as being like the main link between UFOs and animal mutilations. Uh, she was, uh, driving with home with her daughter in the seventies, uh, Cindy and her mother and sister-in-law, and they were returning from, you know, a bingo game night in Houston, which, you know, it seems like the rowdiest thing to do after uh, bingo night in Houston is get abducted by aliens. Seems, you know. I mean, it's rowdy, but it could be fun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's it's par for the course. I can only imagine how rowdy those bingo games get in Houston. <laughs> and I assume I can only assume that um, it gets cutthroat at times. It has to probably. Yeah. yeah. Those old ladies take that seriously. Oh, they they absolutely do. And, you know, if you falsely claim that you have a bingo, uh, you could pretty much guarantee something's going on, going down in the parking lot right after this happens. Slash your tires. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, everybody in the car, they see this like UFO kind of just like hanging out uh, in the sky. They stop their car they get out and they just kind of look at it for a little while. Don't think of anything else really. And it disappears, gets back. They get back in their car and they go home. Uh, and then Judy starts to kind of develop these like migraines uh, and, and such. And she had anxiety. So naturally you want to undergo hypnosis after that. That's the next step. Uh, yeah, it's, it's just you see a UFO Next step, hypnosis. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's just what you do. And what she recounted under hypnosis uh, by Dr. Leo Sprinkle, who recently passed away uh, late last year, was a pioneer in the field of UFO research and hypnosis. Uh, he did. He was involved in a lot of major cases, and the narrative that she put forth was that she was abducted. At the same time that a the, a, cat, a calf was abducted, and she basically witnessed it on board being mutilated. So we have that connotation there, that connection. And there's also another case that Leo Sprinkle was involved in the 80s uh, involving a woman named Myrna Hansen, who kind of alluded to the same type of abduction taking place. And um, the interesting thing was is that she was uh, connected with Paul Benowitz, who uh, was manipulated by the government to believe that he was receiving alien signals through a radio that they gave him and such. And they basically gaslit him into, you know, a mental health center. And uh, yeah, it was it's not a shining moment for the government, but uh, there's a lot of those. It happens. I was say, that's that, that is par for the course. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, it absolutely is. But uh, uh, she had befriended Paul Benowitz and they she she ended up staying with him for a while. Um, she didn't feel safe in her own home. And because Paul Benowitz was already in the uh, insane stage and his uh, introduction to all of this was actually through animal mutilation research. He uh, he convinced Leo Sprinkle to do a hypnosis session in his car in his garage. So we're going to deviate here because we're going to bring you stories that are 
just not the normal. And and one of the earliest accounts goes back to Italy in 1954 and it involves rabbits. So uh, this takes place real, real in... Real quick, though. Yes, real quick. yeah. I feel like you left off the best part of the Snippy story, oh, which yeah. was that in 2006... Her remains were put on eBay for fifty thousand dollars. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> That's completely fair. Yes, her remains were put on eBay for fifty thousand dollars, <laughs> which seems reasonable for a, a you know an alien mutilated horse, I guess. So the question is, does that does that dead celebrity give you status enough to ask for a higher price for your carcass when you are gone? Hmm. I think so. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I like, I don't want to think of this horse in death living their best life, but now that's all I can think of, you know, just <laughs> on the market for $50,000. Yeah. I mean, what I saw, and I, I, I don't know, is that it didn't sell for 50000 and now no. she's just, like, hanging out in a warehouse, which I think is a mm-hmm. shame. Like, there has to be a, a better spot. There does. Like, you could display. Like, like Lady deserves that. Uh, even if it's in, like, you know, the Roswell, uh, you know, International Museum. Yeah. Or just, like, a focal point there. in my living room. Exactly. Like, seriously, <laughs> get in contact with Shane. Shane will take it. Okay. Right. Um, you're going to have to come down in price a little bit because uh, bargain <laughs> hunters here, we bargain. That's um, very true. That's very and, true. And, <laughs> and let's be honest, it's in a warehouse. You're not going to tell me that you, you're not even using you know, it. Yeah, you're not going to tell me it has sentimental value because that's not going to drive up the price. We all, we all don't buy that anymore. <laughs> Going to 1954 or Ortonovo Island in northern Italy, uh, a guy named Amerigo Lorenzini. Uh, this is November 11th, 1954. He's a farmer uh, and he's outside when he's kind of startled by these, um, this like rustling sound. Um, and he looks around and he notices this cigar-shaped object that's surrounded by this light that's sitting on a ground, sitting on the ground near a meadow. And these three beings emerge and they're dressed in outfits that have been described in France over and over again at this time as diving suits. So um, you can think of like the old-fashioned scuba suits, or like even these seem a little more like modern kind of space suits, but they like diving suits was generally what they called them. And, uh, you know, these are the kind of euphonauts you probably see on TV, like, you know, dressed up as for Halloween on like every 50s TV show that I ever had a bit like that. That's kind of what you're looking at. Their helmet covered their face and the three beings proceeded to go by a, a cage that housed about 12 rabbits and Amerigo quickly ran and grabbed his gun, telling his wife and daughter to stay inside. He took aim, uh, but the gun failed to fire twice. And then, oh. and, and yeah, you know, like a uh, man trying to defend his family, failing miserably uh, because of, uh, you know, cheap technology. It's just, <laughs> I, I mean, it was the it was the start of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Tale as old as time. 
It is. Uh, and it, it just repeats. It's repeating here. And uh, there's a there's an interesting feature, though, because the gun started to get heavier in his arm and it just kind of fell to the ground. Uh, it, and he was paralyzed. The beings then stole all of his rabbits and left in the UFO. And it was only after they left that he was able to move again. So this is um, I would say this is a dick move uh, big time. They couldn't even leave him like one rabbit or something. I don't know. Like that's greedy. You need You're all t- the rabbits. Do you need a? What are you going to do with a dozen rabbits? Let's be honest. I guess you don't need that many or something. I don't know. Right. Like, okay, I get it. How many mouths are you trying to feed? <laughs> you can't hunt them yourself. This is yeah. So. Speaking of that, like, how many of these cases, like that, we, that we read or whatever, like they're always like, you know, like getting a group of animals together and then like either abducting one or like in this case abducting all of them. You would think if you just traveled across the universe to come here and steal an animal, you would like not need them to be caged. Exactly, exactly. Like, um, you know, you can go from. You could probably like you're you're trying to go from farm to table like instantly, and I think you right. can work for that. You can work for that. Get out there, hunt them yourself. <laughs> it's not a hard thing to do. Like they're rabbits. You could literally just run after one and catch it. Especially if they're <laughs> big, they don't hop as fast. So, yeah, like this is lazy aliens doing their lazy crap, and you know. How do you explain how do you explain to your family after that what happened to your rabbits? Right. So there I was, barbecue <laughs> sauce on my titties. <laughs> and exactly. aliens took all my rabbits. Like no one's gonna exactly. believe you. Exactly. Exactly. Um I feel for Amerigo here. Um he failed, but um he is going to have a tougher time explaining it to his family but uh the the body count is going to ratchet up here rather quickly uh we're moving to 1968 in bolivia in the small village of otoko and it was around six o'clock in the morning that valentina flores she was heading out to her corral to retrieve her sheep and llamas. And after placing her sheep in a pen, she went to go retrieve her llamas. And on the return trip, she noticed that there was this kind of weird-looking plastic net covering their sheep pen. And moving about underneath this net is a short figure, approximately 1.1 meters or about three and a half feet tall. Uh, and this figure proceeded to kill her sheep one by one with what she described as a tubular instrument with a hook on the end of it. Um, This is rather aggressive. And Valentina started to just throw rocks. You gotta, you gotta work with what you have. This woman is brave. I totally commend her for doing this. And um, she kind of just proceeded to, uh, the, the figure proceeded to walk over to this small object, which um, the only way I could describe it is if uh, you had like a small turntable on a like small table and you somehow pressed a button and, and retracted this net inside of it. So um, this being whoever they may be have has a distinct style 
And I totally pick up on that. I mean, he was like sent here with a purpose, and that purpose was to capture some sheep. Yes. Uh, and Valentina, she decided to up the stakes. She grabbed a stick, a big old stick. And she was approaching the figure. This being then turned and started to chuck the killing instrument at her. Um, and it hit her in the arms a couple times. And I, I believe it hit her in the face as well. And uh, each time uh, it did, it, it cut her arm. Um, and this is, yeah, this is definitely aggressive. And I don't like this hostility. Uh, especially from alien beings. I understand you got to fight back, but like she's chucking rocks. You are chucking a sharp instrument and that is a little more aggressive here. Um, Also like you instigated this whole thing. It's not like she was, she was doing anything. You were, you were on a murderous rampage of sheep. Yes. Like there is no excuse at this point. Um, We're talking about, 33 sheep that's excessive very excessive yeah Yeah. Yeah. it's too many uh so this being gathers up this radio like turntable instrument thing and it also has a bag of entrails like i don't think that valentina was gone long enough for like this whoever this figure was was moving incredibly fast it already had a bag of entrails by the time that she uh, came back with these llamas and then it proceeded to rise in the air. Like this is a, this is a dude that has like a jetpack or something like that. And it, it feels more like it, it, it's like adding insult to injury. I think like if a dude with a jetpack murders my sheep and then he f- like flies up into the air, like I would feel I, <laughs> One, utterly confused in the moment. And secondly, where do I get a jetpack like that? Yeah, so it's like no one's going to believe this ever happened. But two, where are people getting jetpacks? Like, yes. More importantly, forget the sheep. Where is the jetpack? Exactly. Uh, like the name of that one band. We were promised jetpacks. Where are they? <laughs> I need them. <laughs> Damn it. Uh, you know, we're going to be stuck here forever without our jetpacks this is bullshit it's such a Um, weird scene though this little like mm -hmm. three and a half foot tall dude or whatever just like cruising around your farm killing animals stealing their like intestines or whatever and then he just blasts off right and if you uh look at the sketch of this figure which uh you know we'll include the sources and uh we'll share the images online uh this guy is a complete dork like a loser. I'm, I'm just going to say it. He's a, he's a complete loser. The expression on the face is just like utterly like a buffoonish. Um, I will say that. <laughs> totally. Uh, just a failure in life that has resorted to stealing and butchering a bunch of sheep on somebody's farm. Um, I think like the, there, these stories are in general depressing. Uh, but this one it depressed the hell out of me, uh, and I had to translate it from Spanish in order to be depressed. So I went the extra effort <laughs> to depress myself. Uh, but in 1970 in Brazil, we're talking about the case of a quote unquote raptured calf. 
there is that's just the 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 wording that they give this case um i i've never seen this case printed in english and the cover image uh is absolutely bonkers because I, i'm going to be honest the cover image for this case is way more wholesome than it needs to be like at all <laughs> like the 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 details that i'm about to bring you and the image that i'm going to share with you all do not match up whatsoever and i want to know who was working for stendek who uh devised this cover because you are kind of a dick (laughs) no way around uh but we're in brazil uh and these two farmers, it's about four o'clock in the afternoon, Pedro Trajano Machado and his son Euripides de Jesus Trinidad Machado were headed to uh, enclose about 18 head of cattle so that they could actually clean and care for them. And one of the cows had recently given birth to a calf and they briefly kind of separated them so that the mother could be cleaned. And as they proceeded to wash the cow, Father and son noticed that the rest of the cows were just kind of restless, which is, you know, kind of common with uh, animal mutilation cases. They get a little uneasy if you can see it happening in the act, which is very few and far between. But um, this new mother was showing signs of distress herself. And initially they thought uh, they were restless because they were separated and locked up and stuff. But... Um, then the cow started to move repeatedly and she kept turning her head towards the calf and suspended one meter in the air. Uh, this calf was moving. It's just hovering three feet above the ground. And, you know, Pedro calls over to Euripides and the two just helplessly watch this calf moves into the open field by some unseen force, three feet off the ground. And, Once it gets to about 50 feet away, it starts to lift up slowly into the air. It stops moving and it just starts lifting up into the air. There's no UFO associated with this case at all. No UFO at all. And this calf lifts into the air and after three or four minutes, it completely disappears. It's not as if they lost sight of it. It just literally disappeared in midair. And... All the other cows, they're just restless during this entire time. And uh, the the quote here is, it had disappeared as if an invisible curtain had intercepted it. And I hate those words. I hate them. Just <laughs> no. No. I, 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 this story makes me so damn uneasy. And I'm not even a calf. <laughs> See, what, so I think that's what's interesting about that is that it makes you una- uneasy and it is, by all accounts, strange. But yes. these guys are just like, well, there goes the calf. Right. Let's clean the other ones. Like, there is like not a recognition from them in, 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 the, in, the, in the recounting of this. And maybe it's like lost in translation or whatever. But they're just like well that's weird and then move on from it but it's like you're you're this little calf just like floated up into the sky and blipped out of existence and you're just like well that's how it goes sometimes yeah just like look i want to be home by six we gotta clean this (laughs) this cow has either been chosen 
uh, to be raptured. Um, Jesus, Jesus is planning is, a barbecue. <laughs> yes, Jesus has made his choice and uh, through miracles has uh, kidnapped a calf. And yeah, it, 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 now we just made it worse. Uh, we just made it worse. But <laughs> it's just like, yeah, like everything about this is like. It exists in it in its own uneasy world and like i think that's what's so fascinating about certain ufo stories is like in the recounting they exist in this like world within the witness's eyes and sometimes that world is just like the most mundane or easygoing world i have ever heard of and i that like makes me like because to me now all I can picture is like their faces are like the people in the the music video for Black Hole Sun. There's got to be something wrong with them. Like there's got to be something sinister underneath this because there's no other way that I can take this now because it's just like, no, it's too plain and easy. And now all I can think of them is with having these huge extort, you know, just distorted facial features and they're waving this calf goodbye. And I've made it worse. I've made it 10 times worse. <laughs> Yeah, because I mean, it's like either there's something wrong with them or, you know, through like the interviews or whatever, no one did like a follow up question of has this happened before? Like maybe this is a common occurrence on their on their little farm or whatever. So they're just like, well, there goes another one. Right. And it's not that big a deal anymore. Exactly. Like it's it happens so regularly that this is uh this is like skinwalker ranch they've lost 150 cattle to um the rapture like every month there is a sacrifice that i guess must be made and (laughs) that month it was that calf it's yeah it's uh, i i i hate that story and i'll hate it for the rest of my life and yes whoever drew the cover for that issue i hate you in your death because i assume that you were dead i i don't know why you know it was done in the 70s there's definitely a chance you could still be alive but i still hate you for that cover uh i think what makes it even worse is that there's another case here that is that that has similar vibes only there's a ufo involved and it occurred in washington state in 1999 uh, in the shadow of Mount St. Helens, uh, there were these 14 forestry workers and they're seeding trees. This is February 25th, 1999. Uh, and these hillsides are like a soggy green under overcast skies. Uh, and about 280 feet below them is this like group of elk. They're kind of grazing and uh, such in this valley. And just before noon on that day, the small UFO emerges from the cloud cover. And the way that they describe it is that it looks like a gray pill. And on the left side and the right side, there's this uh, rectangular uh, colored area on either side. One is, I believe, a red color and the other is a bluish color. Um, or... A magenta color and a white color is how they describe it. And this strange object, it seems to wobble like a top as it's coming down into this valley, but it's completely silent. Um, And it approaches this group of elk, and they all of a sudden just kind of start to panic and run away. 
and these forestry workers around the same time call their call everyone over and they watch this ufo single out one elk from this pack and cornering it the wobble starts to become like more noticeable in this animal this elk starts to lift up into the air and the ufo actually appeared to grow larger slightly as this elk came closer to the base and like everybody is terrified and this ufo basically draws up this elk into this object it disappears inside granted the the way that it's drawn this elk is taller than this ufo so um like they are they were terrified and who would blame them like i wouldn't want to seed trees after seeing this bullshit but um you know uh this job goes on for quite a while their boss catches wind of what happened and the he reports it to the national ufo reporting center so they interview some of the men like Mufon gets involved in this investigation. Um, you know, Peter Davenport directly gets involved as this Robert Fairfax. Um, they actually discover the body of a pregnant elk was it's dead, like several miles away. But um, one of the witnesses to this case basically said that this, that they believe that this object was actually coming down to feed like the ufo needed the elk to eat now that's just putting ufo into a whole different category which you know it's not new people have talked about ufos as like being living things but like this just it just ratchets it up to more uneasy territory and i i yeah that's an uncomfortable thought yeah because it's like now you're going to be stuck with the thought in your head, hey, has this happened to humans? And you're like, mm, you know, there's... A lot of missing people. Yeah, there's a lot of missing people. You know, David Politis has made a living on it at this point. Um, yeah. And in 1988, there was a body discovered in Brazil near a reservoir. And... The I the details of who this person was, because I, I don't even know if they could have identified him, but there are pictures on the internet of this individual, and it looks as if it's a human being that looks as if it has been, you know, mutilated in the same way that animals do. Um, a lot of the same descriptions of um uh certain parts being removed, like genitals, uh their asshole, which these aliens are being assholes. Um, you have like, uh, he's missing eyes. His face is in a terrified, you know, gesture. Someone stole his asshole. So it's probably, yes. yes. Probably a reasonable expression. <laughs> exactly. Like someone stole my asshole. I am terrified, which is the new, I have no mouth and I must scream. This is I have no asshole and I must scream. Uh, the rewriting the Harlan Ellison classics here on the Our Strange Skies podcast. Uh, this is what we do. And uh, yeah, this is is a terrifying case. Uh, I, I think we mentioned it. I mentioned it briefly on 
our uh, Kolaris flap episodes. This is way back. I'll put a link in the show notes if you want to hear it. But uh, in the second part, um, I end it with that story and I still don't like it. But, you know, stole a dude's asshole. What do you expect? There is no comfort for you here. There is no comfort for you here this week on the Our Strange Guys podcast. <laughs> In some, aliens are coming to get you and steal your asshole. Yes. Yep. It's uh, it's a done deal. I, I do think it's interesting, though, that there's maybe not um, as many, uh, I guess, like people cases of these, whereas like mm-hmm. the animal ones kind of seem to... I don't know, like pop up every so often, um, you know, at least since like the, the, the fifties and the sixties. Um, so it's just interesting. Like, is it something that kind of, you know, reached into like the popular consciousness and people now see it as mm-hmm. a possible like mutilation or right. is it something that's just always been going on? And it took until then for people to be like, you know, this isn't normal. Like this, this isn't just a, you know, a decaying animal. This is like right. there's something extra strange about this. Right. Uh, you get to a point where like the perfect conditions are met in terms of media exposure to something right. that it's some it now introduces a new element to this. It, it's kind of like the, you know, you buy a car and then you notice every other car like yours on the road. It, right. it has yeah. that very similar effect of, you know well, this is a thing now. And, you know, there are people who devoted portions of their life to researching animal mutilation cases. Um, There have been books written about it. And when you dive into those early years from, uh, from the time that it becomes prevalent in the late sixties and into the seventies, uh, it gets very weird at, at, at times because yeah. there are moments where it seems like, oh, well, this is the this is humans doing this because we're finding incisions that lead to the heart. We're finding um, there there are some cases of mutilations in which like the animals are not dead, which is even more terrifying, especially right, when yeah. they describe them as uh, they are missing their tongue and their missing lips or something like that. Um, yeah, it is. It, it's, it's one of those things, but it like, were we just not paying attention to it before you go out, you find dead cattle and oh, that's normal until one day it isn't. And they're all not normal. Yeah. So yeah. So, I yeah. mean like things dying and you, you seeing enough things dead you're kind of like okay that's normal and then at some point it has to go that's not normal right like this like mm-hmm. this situation isn't like the other i don't know 100 i've seen or whatever right and with this this next case it's it's kind of a little departure we don't we don't have any animal death here uh but we do have some uh ill effects that an animal feels after this encounter uh and this takes place in calgary in 1971 and in late august at around 8 p.m it's an unspecified date with an unnamed doctor he was riding his horse 
when he suddenly started to the, the horse started to become very nervous and it uh and then it uh the way that uh i took uh it to be written in the piece uh, the the horse took a giant shit basically you know yeah. just took a big old poopy and uh started to just like buck from side to side um this is a a key factor folks if you see your horse and they just like shit uncontrollably for a few seconds ufo potential ufo we've got a ufo or predator situation here um they're they're equipped with an early warning system yes and it's shitting themselves it is shitting themselves a lot uh you know dealing with a horse it's bound to be a lot that's a big animal and uh the good doctor attempts to dismount the horse um because he doesn't want to get thrown off and i kind of don't blame him and he notices this odd low-flying cloud above him and then this solid object descends from this cloud Quote, it came out as if to observe what was happening below, which I guess was me on my horse. I love mundane quotes like this. <laughs> He's living in his own reality show. Yeah, like uh, this is me. Right yeah, horse. Truman Show, 1971, um, star of the show. Definitely notices now. Um, uh Quote, it was made of material that looked like a plastic or fiberglass of a bluish steel color or a silvery blue. The underpart of it, which was all I could see, was slightly oval in shape and contained two circular vent-like structures, like the bottom of a mushroom rotating in opposite directions. I could actually see them going round as they were moving quite slowly. From the bottom, it had three or four spikes like antennas sticking out of it. And I, and I could see by the motion of these that the whole thing was able to revolve. It would, it would turn a bit in one direction, stop and go, go on or turn back in the other direction. These rods or antennas varied from about four to six feet in length and gave me the impression that they were search, they were a searching device. In fact, the whole central dome seemed to be a sort of observation station. That's a pretty bold assumption here that you know what's going on here, that you know what this technology is. Uh, this man has yeah. been talking to Bob Lazar before Bob Lazar was big. <laughs> I mean, he goes from like, I couldn't get like a good uh, view of it because my horse was freaking out um, mm-hmm. to later being like, here it is in detail and exactly what each thing does. Yes. This is the type of guy who um, could sell you a UFO if there was a lot somewhere where you bought one. This guy, he could tell you like all the motions that this thing is because, you know, when people talk about, um, motions and things like rotating on ufos and lights and stuff like that all i can think of is you know people with tricked out cars with lights underneath them this is the fast and the furious and you know whoever has the better ride uh has tricked it out more so this is the guy in a guy that could sell you on a, a car like you're 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 buying it hook line and sinker absolutely yeah uh, this man has a second career 
in line after being a doctor. And I respect that hustle uh, only slightly. Uh, he observed a blue light on the bottom, which he described as similar to kind of an arc welder's torch, you know, which is kind of common. And, you know, another odd incident occurred uh, while they were kind of uh, going back home after this UFO um, disappeared. Uh, quote, soon after I had mounted her and started on her way back, she began to stiffen up again. And I thought, oh, no, not another one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess like in the moment, yeah, like what it, you would they yeah. might be coming back. I don't know. Yeah. 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 Uh, but this time she wasn't quite as uneasy and we continued along until something lying in the bush caught my eye. I rode closer and saw it was a horse on its side, obviously dead. The strange part was that it, that its exposed side was badly singed though. There was no sign of a fire having been there, but whatever had happened must have occurred very recently as I could still smell burnt hair. And when I got down and felt the horse, it was still warm. Also, there was no sign of rigor mortis. Uh, so this uh, UFO just out here being a dick, just, uh, get, you know, out here getting horses. Kind yeah, of I mean, that seems to be the, the, the common thread. UFOs being dicks. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, theme of the episode today, UFOs being dicks. In fact, I think we found our title for this episode. The doctor assumed much in the way that a dog whistle works, that his horse uh, could actually hear the UFO, and that was what it was reacting to. And in the days following the incident, the, so the horse suffered from what the doctor assumed was hearing problems, but she also developed these kind of weird spots that would spread from like her head down to her neck. Um, and you know, that's uh, much like every great UFO case. That's where the story ends. We don't know whether the horse lives or dies, but uh, we like, we'd like to think positively, I guess, you know, it just, you know, lived forever with like weeping head wounds from aliens. Yeah, exactly. That um, is the side effect that this horse is now, um, doomed to live forever and unfortunately it did not make it to ebay so no it did not make it to ebay for 50 grand that we know of unless uh folks in canada specifically calgary reach out our strange skies at gmail.com uh at our strange skies on twitter and uh on instagram have you do you know of the remain where this horse's remains are uh yeah is the the doctor's horse or the, the other horse yeah can they be bought for a reasonable sum get at like us 350 350 that is all we can afford right now we're living in trying times it is a tough economy and you have to take that in consideration because sentimental value just is not going to sell it like we said um so this next case it this this case is uh, I'm going to read a verbatim from the article. Um, it was written by a guy named Norman Weiss, and it was told to him by Peter and Paul Belchinger. Um, I'm calling him Belchinger because like that's a pretty badass name. And it sounds like something I do on a regular basis because, you know, 
burps and stuff. Um, the title of the story is Monster Sightings in Alabama Caves. And we're, there's no UFOs in this particular incident, but there are hairy creatures abducting livestock. So uh, there are many caves in Alabama and many are quite near Huntsville. The story begins when the farmers find that they've been losing cattle. In the last three years, they've estimated their losses to be over 150 head of cattle. And that is excessive. That is excessive. Yeah, that's taken the cake right there. That is... So wait, we, we have hairy cave aliens now abducting 150 cattle. Yeah, yeah. Or it might be hairy cave aliens, might be Bigfoot. We're not... It's not exactly sure, but uh, it fits into the mold. Um, And, you know, naturally, they figured they were rustlers and enlisted the law along with their own group to find out where the cattle were going. The results sense. were frightening. That's it's, it's in all caps. The results were frightening. And that's where the story ends. Unfortunately, <laughs> <laughs> if, uh, if you're a good storyteller, I, and if I was a good storyteller, you know, <laughs> Uh, if I was at all, I would make people go to Patreon, but I will <laughs> I will be nice and share <laughs> with the group. Uh, the sheriff and deputies were called in and plans were made to apprehend the marauders. Watches were set in hope that they would find out what was going on. No attempts were made to steal cattle in the daytime. It was always at night and time went by. They caught a fleeting glimpse of the marauders who seemed to have no trouble in vaulting fences no matter how high. In the meantime, saucers or discs were seen many times and were seen to land on both hilltops and flat land. Cool. Uh, good to know wow. that these UFOs are versatile, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, really, this, this is this is actually, like, pretty interesting. It seems like they, they've figured out some, like hairy alien cave base or something like for yes yeah yep in huntsville alabama this is this is hell year three i think uh huntsville alabama are we sure it just wasn't like greg in a cave or something stealing cows? Uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna dm greg after we record this and i'm gonna find out i'm gonna share the story with him and if i disappear we know what the truth is uh so when investigators went to the area, nothing was ever found and no trace of landings could be noted. Or our guess on this would be that there were underground installations involving elevators that lowered surface ground within the bushes, etc. Included, when the saucer was lowered, the elevator with its surface camouflage was not noticeable. So we have gone from the possibility to diving headfirst into the ground as it were this time uh we have an underground alien base it is confirmed with elevators accessible yes yep uh totally what they use to bring their ufos down into the ground to get back to the cattle rustling, finally, the night guards were able to catch the culprits in the act of killing the cattle and shot at them. Much to the consternation of the guards, the bullets had no effect on these beings, which, you know, has anybody successfully shot an alien? There is no way 
that anybody is successfully shooting an alien because now you've got to produce that body. It's right. Yeah. It's 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 kind of the main barrier to uh, Bob Lazar because you know Bob Lazar has a lot on his head now because he's got to produce that sport model. He's got to kind of bring it by, you know, land it somewhere, get out and post for pictures with it. Like the posing for pictures with it is the most important part. You have to. It's a photo op yeah, now. Yeah, we we need the photo ops, and we need, we need like third party witnesses. Yes. At this point, right? Like, you can't just be like, "Well, me and my good friends." Like, no, we mm-hmm. need we need someone else involved. Exactly, and we need uh, a future tech hand scanner involved some somehow, and a few other amenities that I think we can provide. Also, we need an FBI raid, and. Um, <laughs> You know, anything that'll, yeah, anything that'll bring validity to this uh, particular incident. Um, The beings were described as being about four feet tall and weighing about 400 pounds. They, I, you know, we're, yeah, like, where are we getting these size estimates? Like, really? (laughs) So they were like spherical or something? (laughs) Right. Uh, they were endowed with great strength and their bodies were covered with hair no clothes no clothes (laughs) their strength was so great that they were able to kill the cattle and drag them over the fences with no apparent trouble into their caves they were followed by the sheriff and deputies plus police dogs but did not go far into the caves not knowing what they would get what they would be getting into yeah no shit they shone yeah, like, I, I think that's the most reasonable part of this article right now, is that you they proceed to chase after what? No. Yes. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, so great. Um, uh, I'm sorry, this may be an elected position, but I'm not going in that cave. <laughs> right. Uh <laughs> I don't care if I lose the respect of my peers. This is not how it's going down. Um, Their bright lights, uh, they shot bright lights into the cave and could see the pairs of eyes of these beings staring at them from all areas. There were many cattle carcasses on the cave floor and the stench was unbearable. It was it was felt that a strong light was the farmers and sheriffs only protection as they entered the caves and, and that these beings were completely blinded by light and were able to come out only at night. Like this has um, some Richard Shaver kind of vibes here. Like uh, this is, we're going to the inner earth and this is, this is what we're dealing with. Uh, Their footprints were unusual being only about eight inches long with toe marks, but the width was wider than would be expected with a big ball-like print, more like an animal. I... Huh. huh, Interesting. Four foot tall, 400 pounds, eight inch feet. Totally believable. Has anyone been there, like, in the daylight? That or would did be they great... just decide that, like, <laughs> right? This was enough. <laughs> Believe me, when we get to the end of this article, <laughs> okay, you're not going to okay, have sorry. the answers. 
But if there is updates, you will get them. That's literally how the article ends. But um, there's never an update. There's never, never an update. Um, yeah. So shades of the abominable snowman. We have reports of strange <laughs> beings in Tibet, the Sasquatch of Washington and Oregon areas, Bigfoot of Northern California, large hairy beings in the Brooksville, Florida area. Uh, and uh, reports from Pennsylvania from Presque Isle, which the Presque Isle Park uh, incident is an interesting uh, Bigfoot slash UFO incident that, that I love that's from 1967. Uh, definitely a case I will cover at some point on this podcast. Um, uh, and this is where I will leave you with the fantastic story of the monsters in the Alabama caves. It was completely and utterly anticlimactic. <laughs> Uh, I was let down by this article. I was roped in and now I roped you in because I gave you no warning of this one. This is one that I did put the link to it in with the, uh, the stuff about lady. It was at the bottom of the, this just this random one that had like one article about lady and then like a bunch of articles about a bunch of different other things. And I sprung this on you and you may have had access to it, but you didn't see this coming. And um yeah this is this is the frustration of any ufo case as there is never an update ever like unsolved mysteries updated things ufos never an update no nope. ever no nope. ever it's because the government stops them yeah exactly um, to be declassified exactly uh we have i mean really all you have to do is go to television network and tell them we're pulling your license and that's it as simple as that like it doesn't take much to shut the tv stations up folks they they're in the pocket of these beings slash the government slash whatever whatever's responsible here um so i've been kind of presenting these in the uh chronological way that uh uh alongside like other mutilation cases here and uh what you notice in the mid 70s is that um mutilations just go up tenfold from uh you see a lot of reports from Kansas, Nebraska, Iowa, South Dakota, Colorado, Oklahoma, Minnesota and Montana and you've got cases popping up in Texas and uh, Governor David Boren of Oklahoma was one of the first people to launch an investigation into these cases. Uh, and it became so infamous, this phenomenon, that the New York Times did actually report on it. But I think like I don't think the New York Times reporting on anything is the benchmark that we once assumed it was. But, you know, that's just me. That's my hot take for the day in Puerto Rico. There were a number of mutilation cases that were taking place in uh, the mid 70s. And they kind of like reached this uptick in February of 1975 in the town of Mocha. And the reports uh, that were collected for the local paper dubbed whatever was doing this the vampire of Mocha. And authority and, and and what we're talking about is the deaths of 
cows, goats, birds, rabbits, geese, pigs, dogs, cats, and snakes. And it was a Dr. Juan A. Rivero. He was a herpetologist at the University of Puerto Rico who stated that, you know, they weren't, um, these weren't killed by predators. All these animals weren't killed by predators. They were killed by something else. They, these killings generally occurred in the early morning hours and they were, it was generally silent though. There were some witnesses that reported hearing a very loud screech, which later on in, you know, like two decades later with, the uh, chupacabra sightings yeah you they get kind of associated with that so uh we don't have necessarily sightings of chupacabras at this point but we have something that is mutilating animals in the 1970s that is still given that reputation it's a vampire so uh yeah it's interesting how this stuff would evolve into the 90s but um, yeah, there was just a lot of stuff going on kind of everywhere. And, it, and these Puerto Rican cases, which we're, we're not really going to go into a whole hell of a lot here because um, they, it could take up a, a whole episode on its own because it was documented in a number of articles. But um, there were a lot of cases that occurred from about 1975 to 1977 and then kind of died down for uh, two decades bef- until about 1995 when you get your first chupacabra sightings and and the markers are similar these animal killings start happening in the very mer- early morning hours um they're generally silent but this time there are witnesses that see a strange creature uh that is bipedal it has these it it looks very kind of almost reptilian in nature. It's very green. It has these kind of spikes uh, on their back, and their eyes are this glowing red color, which is the freakiest. It's it's freaky um, up and down. Before the chupacabras kind of gets relabeled as a weird looking dog in the in Texas and stuff, which uh, to me they're not the same thing, but they're, yeah, they're very different. <laughs> <laughs> Just very different. Uh, this last case um, that we're covering here is um, it's it's from the it's from England near the Cheshire River. Uh, this is I like I I kept picturing in my head because the the witnesses in this case they were all unnamed they didn't want to be named they um they didn't even really want to tell their story but their story kind of appeared in a few uh you know uh, different papers and it gets misrepresented but um Jenny Randall's Paul Wetnell they continue to kind of push to get the story the truth of this story it involves four teenagers ranging between the ages of 17 and 19 and uh this particular incident took place on january 27th 1978 at around 5 45 p.m uh and at a certain in a certain section on the cheshire river uh they were actually searching for pheasant and 
I don't think they have any guns or anything with them. Well, it's I mean, it's England. They don't have guns. So, I mean, that's it's kind of obvious. I don't I don't I don't know if uh, by 78 that they don't have Didn't guns have, like. I don't I'm, know. Yeah, thought, I'm not I sure. They were allowed to have like hunting, right. like weaponry. But otherwise, I don't really know. Like, do they have like a big net with them or something? Right. Yeah, that's the thing is like. That it's a detail that's left out of this case. How are they hunting for this pheasant? We Maybe the whole know. story is just made up. Like the the pheasant was just like they're I don't know they're like getting high on the river or something. <laughs> exactly. You know we're we're toning it down a little bit, but um, you know we've got to add a little something to this uh, to the location. So this particular location where this event took place is known as Devil's Garden. Um, of course. To me, that 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 uh, says that they were smoking pot down by the river. That's that's right actually <laughs> that's actually a great point. It's it's devil's garden smoking the the devil's herb. Yeah, devil's lettuce. Yep. Uh, it, it makes a hell of a lot more it sense does. than oh yeah, <laughs> hunting pheasant. Yeah, <laughs> just a few seventeen-year-old uh, guys out there hunting pheasant. Yeah, Nothing to just, see here. You know, just a, bu- a few buds out in the woods going to tackle a pheasant. Just how it happens. As they walked into this undergrowth, this strange object started to come into view along the river. And their first thought was that it was a satellite. That at first, I think they kind of thought crashed into the river, but like they noticed that it was actually hovering just slightly above the river. So it was now a satellite just hovering, hovering above a river. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't know how um, satellites work either, but maybe they do that. I, uh, yeah. Get at us. Uh, let us know if you've seen, <laughs> ever seen a satellite hovering over a river. We need to know because I don't want to remain ignorant on this topic. I want to know. Do satellites come back down to Earth in one piece and hover over rivers? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe. Uh, but this is now the question my mind will be stuck with until I die or until somebody answers it for me. So please answer it for me. Um, I'm begging you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm begging you for my own sanity. I need it. Uh, this object was spherical and silver in color, but at the base, there was a kind of skirt or rim. So when you see this object, uh, the best way to describe it is it looks like a complete, perfectly round sphere, and it does have a skirt underneath, uh, on the bottom of it. So, um, a kind of like more rounder, larger, Flatwoods vibes in a way, you know. The skirt definitely mm. sells me on this a little bit. Uh, I'm I'm down with yeah. it. Uh, High fashion uh, aliens, not your yeah. run of the mill. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Like ready to hit that runway if yeah. they yeah. really need to. Yeah. Uh, and this UFO, I think that's what that UFO was here for because it was just following the river. That river, the new. The river is the new runway. This is where we're at. <laughs> and uh, like 
if any fashion designers want to get at me, we'll um, we'll make this happen. The river is the new runway. Let's do it. Actually, do um, that. Yes, here for that. Yep, totally here for it. Uh, so the overall size was about 15 feet, and although it was uh, hard to kind of assess uh, as the you know sun was going down, but there were flashing lights on the side, and there was also what looked like windows that emitted a very strange glow. This was kind of like an ultraviolet type of light that was uh, coming from the inside. Although the men did not uh, call it this, the, their description makes it apparent. That's a very weird, like, I don't know why they threw that in this quote. but uh, And it was kind of painful for their eyes to stare at it for any length of time as any kind of light like that would be. And the light made, this is my favorite part here, the light made the interior appear fuzzy. Yeah. Fuzzy, yeah. Uh, I think that's in line with um, the style of the 70s. There's a lot of fuzzy things. It was happening. all just kind of fuzzy. Hazy. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Uh, also alluding again that these guys are just smoking marijuana down by a river. Um, things get a little fuzzy and, uh, you know, impossible to see the details inside. So in light of the Cold War, they still believe this object to be a Russian satellite of some kind. Uh, and fearing exposure to radiation... They were about to run, but were stalled by the appearance of a figure. The figure appeared normal, donned in a silver one-piece suit, as they usually are, complete with a helmet that had a light on top of it. They surveyed the terrain and quickly noticed a small herd of cows in a nearby field. The figure quickly returned to their craft and emerged with what appeared to be a large cage. They were accompanied by a second figure and with little trouble, they carried this cage toward one of the cows. And this, uh, what I like about this cage is it, it was adjustable. They, it was form-fitting to the cow. Um, you know, set it and forget it. Make it the right size. Yeah. Capture this cow. Bring it on board. And it, it, uh, it's an update to the uh, the like record player net. Yeah, it is. Uh, this is new model. We're, we're not using plastic nets anymore that are attached to turntables. We have better technology. I'm digging this. Um, and so they feared becoming the next thing that was going to be placed in a cage. So naturally, they ran for it. Um, this is where the story gets incredibly weird. And when I mean incredibly weird, there's a detail that one of the boys. Um, he came forward with that uh i i you know is is he punking us is he being brave i'm not sure i think it's kind of a little bit of both but he talked about how when he ran he felt this invisible pull on his testicles and you know okay what are we doing here what what do we what is going on because that is a first for me i've never heard uh ufos pulling on testicles like that i just i am i'm at a loss for words on this one i mean i don't know like i suppose it's possible uh maybe he's just trying to you know prank the local paper by getting to talk about his balls yeah yeah like this is either the you know the the ultimate trolling that the 70s really had to offer 
and he threw in the testicle business with this. Like, there's allusions to marijuana everywhere. We have, uh, and, and the thing is, we don't have confirmation that there was a cow that came up missing. Uh, it's not indicated in the article. Jenny Randall's Paul Wetnell, they did everything they could to investigate this case. There is no uh, supporting evidence here, but uh, still, this uh, this made the pages of um, Flying Saucer Review. It was a cover. Uh, the cover article is it, it's it's just yeah, it's absolutely fantastic. Uh, he claimed that um, they felt sore as he ran away, and they were sore for days after, and his legs. He said that uh, it looked like they had sunburns on them. Uh, so, you know, the troll, this is extra level trolling and uh, give it up to him. You know, I, I don't really know what to add to that. It's just. I mean, it, it is truly expert level because here we are, you know, almost 40 years later, still talking about his balls. Yeah, still talking about his balls. That's um, that's what I, uh, I, yeah, I'd like to uh, recognize myself for picking out this story because I did not know this particular bit about it. I had only kind of skimmed it a little bit. And then uh, when I read it while I was putting this together, I was, uh, yeah, I was just kind of like uh, speechless. So. I appreciate a UFO case that can leave me speechless after reading hundreds of these things. <laughs> uh, God damn it. Um, I mean, he came out of this better than, than most others, you know, um, that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Uh, that's like absolutely fair because uh, there are people that come away traumatized for life uh, and, you know, uh, completely understandable uh you know these guys they say that they were so terrified that they never wanted to talk to anybody about this and you know if you want to claim that aliens tugged at your balls uh yes uh i can understand ufo tugged at your balls you don't want to talk about that but uh yeah yeah it's just you know it, they didn't envision that it would make some dudes podcast in the future. They had no idea what would happen. So uh, this is kind of like, you know, criminals not realizing that DNA evidence would be anything in the future. This is the same kind of scenario. <laughs> I am the DNA of the UFO world. <laughs> oh man. Just, uh Yeah. I have a lot of regrets in life. Don't worry. Uh, (laughs) So so does he after that night. Yep. Uh, Finally, we would mention that the month of January 1978 was uh, unusually active for CE3 cases in Britain. It should be noted that the film Close Encounters of the Third Kind opened in the country in March and publicity surrounding it began in February. So on January 2nd, a silver-suited figure was seen in Rainford Merseyside, uh, just over the other side of the Mercy estuary. This is a case that involves a woman named Joyce Bowles. Uh, We covered it on an episode called Finding Quantum Quest and Your Car's Extended Warranty. So if you want to learn more about that, you can go check out uh, that particular episode. And then... 
on January 18th at an and Laby uh, in Umberside. Uh, some children reported to Nigel Watson how a small UFO had landed on their flat uh, school roof in broad daylight and three astronauts connected by tubes to the UFO had got out wearing golden one-piece suits. They had been very frightened for the few moments of this sighting before the UFO had streaked away. In addition, uh, Flying Saucer Review, Volume 25, Number 3, carries a UFO in report from Ken Phillips of a small spherical UFO that was chased across country in Felmersham, Bedfordshire. Uh, this was on January 26, less than 23 hours before a somewhat similar object was allegedly seen by four terrified poachers at Frodsham. Uh, even the names of the locations are not dissimilar. A final coincidence to round off this intriguing tale. Uh, yeah. And, you know, they were poachers. Those kids were poachers. They were there for, they were poaching that devil's lettuce right in the woods. And those are the offbeat animal mutilations and kidnappings that we have for you folks. This has been a journey. We went places that nobody really expected uh, any podcast to go to. And I'm not even talking about that last story. Like most of these stories are just when my mind becomes consumed with finding the oddest of the odd, they, it never seems to disappoint. It's just like, oh, hey, take notice of this weird case and that one and that one. And it just uh, it, it did not fail um, in, in this case. So. Um, at the at, at the end of this, animal mutilations. How do you feel about them now, Shane? Now that you've been exposed to this um, uh, body of casework. No, I mean, you know, I, I I'm still intrigued. I still think it's it's fascinating, and mm-hmm. I would really like to hear more cases like this. Right? Like, like this yeah. isn't just like oh, another dead cow. You know, another right. another sheep got got butchered or whatever like some of these are, are really um you know i mean you said they're offbeat but like they're they're just really um i guess different but they they still have some you know common threads like you know it's it's you know short creatures or whatever are like coming out of these ships um you know most of them are in like like silver or something mm-hmm. um so i i do i do think it's interesting um even if maybe some of these are a little uh, questionable. Uh, yeah, uh, there are definitely sensationalized aspects to these yeah. cases that are, um, yeah, because it's like you can generally tell the difference between something that is sensationalized and most likely made up versus something that is just absolutely absurd and is something that somebody who sees a UFO or aliens would probably not report. So uh, you can make that distinction pretty easily, I would say. And like, I think I've done a good job here of bringing kind of like, this is the half and half version of the sensational versus the absolutely absurd i would say because uh you know i am i inspired to take a trip trip to huntsville alabama i kind of now i want to yeah, find this case more so than before yeah 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 definitely i 
I had no reason to go to Huntsville, Alabama, and now I I am armed with a news article that has been scanned and put into a PDF by Ignacio Darnade, which I cannot thank Ignacio Darnade enough uh, for all of the work that he has done. What, one of the premier um, UFO investigators out of, I believe he was out of Argentina or South America, but uh, definitely um, the top of the top there. And I appreciate him putting this, article in with a bunch of other articles and then putting it on his website i am now uh going to book myself a plane ticket to huntsville alabama and um yeah uh, i i appreciate i appreciate him for doing that (laughs) just make sure to take a you know a flashlight since uh they're afraid of the light but no one went back Mm -hmm. during the day when it's light out Exactly. Uh, bringing extra light and hoping that enough enough sunlight can filter through. Hopefully yeah. there's not too many trees blocking the, the this cave, but uh, just given that we know that they only come out at night, uh, blindness is on my side. And for someone who wears glasses for a living, I feel empowered for once. Absolutely. Good. Good. Uh, I'm glad that story could do that for you. Yes, I, I am too. <laughs> Shane, thank you so much for joining me for this episode. Of course. Thanks for having me on. Uh, it was a blast. Yeah, so uh, the Q Files, where can people listen to it and how can people keep up with what you're doing uh, with all the stuff you got going on? Yeah, you can find the, the Q Files on any uh, you know podcast app, um, whether that's Apple, Spotify, CastBox, whatever it is. Um, and you can find us on social media under the Q files pod for Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Yes. Uh, and, and like I said, folks, if you have not listened to the Q files yet, please go do that. Uh, and as for the, our strange skies podcast, you can find us on most podcasting apps. Uh, and if you'd like to help us out, please leave us rating and review, leave a rating and review for the Q files. Just do it for all the podcasts you love. Uh, and if you want to support us monetarily, head on over to patreon.com slash your UFO guy. You could throw $3 at us a month and you'll get early access to episodes like this and bonus episodes. I'm poor. Please help me out. Yes. Thank you. Uh, special thanks to floats for the use of their song UFO as the theme song for this podcast. Special thanks to Megan Lagerberg for our logo and to the great Desdemona for our t-shirt designs. And finally, don't forget to look up because you never know what you'll find in our strange skies or tugging at your testicles over the Cheshire River. In gray, we trust. Yeah.